I'm Gary, and this is episode 88 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be talking with Melanie Shufflebottom from ZapMap about her company, products it makes, and where she sees EVs and renewables heading. Before we start, I wanted to remind you that at the end of this season, we have a roundtable episode where we invite various people on to talk different EV and renewable topics. Who would you like to see on there? What topics would you like to see included? Let me know by emailing evmusings at gmail.com. Thank you. Our main topic of discussion today is ZapMap. We're joined today by Melanie Shufflebottom, COO of ZapMap, who'll be talking to us about her company and their products. For those of you who are unfamiliar, ZapMap is best known as being one of the best apps on the markets for locating EV charging points. But it's much more than that. In fact, the origin story is quite interesting. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, I met up with my business partner, Ben Lane, back in 2010, a, a long time ago. And I joined him on a website he'd created, nextgreencar.com, which is a, a car buyer's guide to low emission cars. And we worked on that together. He very much providing all the, all the knowledge and the, and the expertise. And I was more about um, get, getting the brand and uh, commercializing um, the, the product. And that was about looking at all different car technologies and helping car buyers understand the end-to-end environmental impact of um, different vehicles. So that's electric vehicles, plug-in, hybrids, petrol, diesel, CNG, LPG, the whole gamut. And it became clear to us pretty quickly that electric was going to be the winner and it was the best technology out there. So at around uh, 2011, 2012, we decided that EV drivers would need to be able to find public charging points. So we thought this would be a great bit of content on on Next Green Cars. We got a spreadsheet, added all the public charge points we could find information about and and created a very simple, a simple Google map that we, we put on Next Green Car. And that over over the next few years became the most popular page on Next Green Car. And we thought, oh, we've got something here. And so we started to develop it and we we set it free on its own URL and uh, created an app uh, back in 2014. And now we're, we're on version six, six of the app. So, you know, we, we've moved on from then. And we also decided that it wasn't just about the app for the EV drivers. It was also about really trying to provide some content around that to help people who are thinking about getting an electric car but had no idea about charging. So really trying to answer sort of common questions. So that's, that's what the, the website does, which surrounds ZapMap, the app, which is, is for EV drivers when they're out and about. So while many people look at ZapMap as that tool for finding where your nearest charger is, it's very versatile. Sure, you can use it for finding a charger. You can even use it to check in and rate the charger. But there's a lot more functionality there, as well as more coming up. We'll talk about the new functionality shortly. But first, the one thing I wanted to chat to Melanie about was charger live status. At the moment, one of the key issues with charges is knowing the availability of those charges before you get there. If you're heading to a remote charger with one unit behind a pub in the middle of some abandoned uh, area of Devon, you really need to know it's working. ZapMap provides real-time updates for a large number of the charges that it covers, and you can be confident that the charge is working and or not occupied if ZapMap tells you. However, there are a number of charge point operators Podpoint and Ecotricity are examples, who've elected not to provide this live data to ZapMap, or indeed any app provider, preferring instead to direct users to their own app or website. I asked Melanie if this was a technical issue or a political issue. 
Oh, it's, it's definitely not a not a not a technical issue. I mean, we since we first started getting um, dynamic data, live status data on on the app, we've you know we worked hard to develop relationships of all the different networks, and most of them have been you know great, and and over time have realised the the benefit of of providing live status data because it just helps the market and helps EV drivers. Um, but there have been a couple of networks who we've we've absolutely reached out to and had conversations with, and for for whatever reason, not technical, um, they have been unable or not prepared to share their share their data with us. What do you think? What do you think's underneath that? What's what's underlying that? Why do they not want to share it when others do? Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's interesting. We you know we thought about it a lot. I think there's there's a concern that once they provide data, that it's it's no longer controlled by them and it will get out in the public domain and it's commercially sensitive, um, you know, that, that type of argument, or that they're, they just think the data is so valuable and they don't want someone else to have it in any, in any way. So we have some companies holding out providing their live status updates, mainly due to political issues. And personally, I can't see why that might be a problem, given the large number of companies, such as Osprey Charging, who've already embraced this. I asked Melanie about the relationship that ZapMap have with Osprey Charging. I mean, I think we, we've always seen Osprey as um, very much a, a really great focus company who is, they, they, you know, they're very mission driven. They're trying to create a great rapid charging network. Um, and we've, we've met with Ian and he's, he's very open and very keen to work with third parties to you know, make his network a success. And, you know, he's very focused on the EV driver. So he's always thinking about what can I provide for the EV driver that will make people want to use Osprey and that makes sense in the market. We spoke with Ian Johnston from Osprey Charging for episode 69, Charge Point Operators. If you want to listen to that episode in full, the link's in the show notes. Osprey Charging have worked together with ZapMap on a number of initiatives, including the real-time status updates. One of the other things they've worked together with them on is ZapPay. Now, ZapPay is something that ZapMap have put into place to facilitate paying for your charge through their app. Yeah, I mean, Zap, ZapPay, uh, the genesis of ZapPay was really about the EV drivers. Um, we're, we're in constant dialogue. We get lots of feedback from our users and, and really just wanting a, you know, a simple cross-network way to pay. So you know, it, it made sense to us. And um, we, we've got Osprey and ESB Energy live on, on the platform at the moment. And we're talking to many, many different networks about getting them integrated with, with ZapPay as well. I mean, our, um, um, we currently have 70% of connected devices have live status data. So we have a relationship with all of those networks. And that's our ambition is to get all of those networks onto ZapPay um, and provide them with you know, extra utilization and, and help the, the EV market. Given that 70% of the charges they monitor give them live status, why are only a small percentage signed up to ZapMap? At the moment, it's Osprey Charging and ESP Charging. Uh, the Life Network and Hubster are coming soon. Is this a technical thing? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the key the key can it, it it isn't just a case of them just being able to go. Yep, I want to go on ZapPay, and then the next day mm -hmm. they're on. So there's a whole yeah. sort of in, integration piece. I think there's also um, so there's a technical integration piece, and there's also just. Um, making sure internally for each of the operators that it makes sense with their um, go-to-market strategy. And our conversations have been very positive with all the networks. And I think that the key thing is it's, it's the, how we see the, the market evolving is that there's going to be lots of different ways to pay. 
some EV drivers are 100% happy with contactless. That's all they want. They want to charge on rapid chargers. They want contactless. And once that is out across all the rapid networks, they're going to be happy. ZapMap produced a survey every year of the top charging networks in the UK. From the last survey results, ChargePoint operators like Instavault and Shell Recharge are higher on the list than companies such as ESB, who are already on ZapPay. Would it make sense to focus on some of the more popular ones? Yeah, I mean, we, we've got lots of or several uh, ChargePoint operators who are, are, are pretty close. So watch this space in terms of announcements. It would be nice to think that something like ZapPay could become quite important for customers wanting to charge because, apart from anything else, with apps such as ZapPay, you literally plug the charger into your car and then you can initiate the charge while sitting in the car itself. There's no fiddling with screens or getting RFID or contactless cards to work. It's very easy to do and has the potential to be one of the go-to methods for charging a car. It also makes sense for the CPOs to be involved in this. But of course, we know that there's only out of the 25,000 public charging devices out there, there's only three or 4,000 which are rapid. And for those, the rest of the network, it really isn't economically viable to add contactless payments. So you know, if we, if we as collectively as an industry, want some kind of cross-network payment, you know, there needs to be a solution. The ChargePoint networks um, can see that this is a, another channel to market, um, which for some people, particularly people who are um, out of out of their current their, their sort of normal place of where where they charge, where they're sort of familiar with the networks, it's really important. It's important for people who um, actually want the app experience, so they want to be able to see payment when they're away from the charge point, um, and they can store their payment history. And of course, for fleets, it's essential because they need to be able to get the VAT payment um, and be able to charge back. So there's there's a lot of user groups for whom something like a cross network payment system like ZapPay is really important. Um, and but then and and I think the networks are increasingly realizing that it isn't a threat to their business model, but rather it's just an additional channel to get to EV drivers. You may have read that ZapMap have recently announced a link up with Just Park. What's that about? We also think that community charging is going to start to become important, which is why we've done a partnership with with Just Park, where we're going to be adding Just Park's driveway charge points onto our Zap Home network and also enable booking from within ZapMap. Because at the moment, it's, Zap Home is, a, is very much a driver-to-driver, um, peer-to-peer. Uh, people agree whether they want to charge or not, but this booking system will, will enable um, that to be able to be much more um, sophisticated. So this is a way of using your own home charger and getting paid for using it? Yeah, that's that's the idea. Yes, the idea is that we're going to be using the facilities from from Just Park that they already have available in terms of of booking and uh, drivers. The homeowners will be able to set their price for parking and charging, and that will be facilitated via the ZapMap app. It won't be the same as, as ZapPay. That might be a future iteration, but it will enable payment. ZapPay are mostly owned by a company called Good Energy. They recently invested more money into the company. How much? Around million pounds. <laughs> and what's that earmarked for specific projects? Well, I think, you know, in, in, in all investments, you know, there's always a, a business plan and, and a, a set of priorities and products that are going to be rolled out. So we, we've been working with Good Energy for the last couple of years. So we, we know them well and, and we've together created a, a business plan and, and, and targets for, for what we're going to be delivering over the next year or so. Anything else on the horizon for ZapMap? This week, we also launched ZapFlash, which is a tariff in partnership with Good Energy, 
which is, is great. It's a time of use tariff, which gives you four hours of free charging or free electricity. And it's meant it, the idea is it coincides in the summer, it coincides with a, um, a period of high sunshine. And in the winter, it coincides with a period of high wind. How does that work exactly? Yes, how it, how it works that every week the people who have signed up to the tariff will get an email alerting them of when this four-hour four period is going to be during the week. And that's going to coincide with a sunny day in the, in the summer and a windy period in the winter. So they'll know sort of ahead of time when this four-hour period is um, and then they can charge their car or do other, run their washing machine during this, this four-hour and they'll get get free electricity and of course 100% renewable. This is regardless of the underlying wholesale energy price which is how companies like Octopus Energy run their agile tariff. So what about 12 or 18 months down the line where do you see that map then? Yeah it's interesting I mean I think we're at a really great time in the market we've we've, we've got our 400,000 or so plug-in car drivers we're going to get to maybe 10 million by by 2030 so what, what we're finding exciting is we're moving from that early adopter to the mass market. And as we know, the early adopter EV drivers are a fantastic group of people who are keen to research things and find things out. But, but going forward, as we get to the sort of more standard drivers, they're just going to increasingly want things just to work and just be simple. So really, our focus is around simplification, making things easy really good UI, UX, um, and supporting, supporting the market as the new drivers come on. So that's sort of at a top level what, what our focus is. So we've got lots of ideas for new features around making route planning even better. Um, most of our focus to date has been on, on the consumer, but the, the fleet market is, is really growing. There's loads of vans coming onto the market. Increasingly, fleets are being encouraged to shift over to electric, and, and they have some very specific needs. So we are going to be also in parallel developing um, ZapMap to, to support fleets. Ironically, in a world with adequate infrastructure and confidence that you will have chargers where you want insufficient quantities with sufficient reliability, having a route planning app that allows for charging stops shouldn't really be needed. I mean, at the moment, nobody plans a route to include petrol or diesel stops, do they? Yeah, I think that's interesting, actually, because I think there will still be a role for planning because I think that there will be... It, it will become a lot more sophisticated, but imagine if someone wants to do the, some people might want to do the fastest route, some people might want to do the cheapest route, some people might want to do a route just using renewable energy. You know, there's all sorts of, of different scenarios I can think about that, that, that people might or will still need route planners. I mean, people use route planners just to go from A to B using a, a fossil car at the moment. In last week's episode, we talked with Jill Noel from EVE England. They survey people about charging and their attitudes to the 2030 fossil fuel vehicle sale ban. Given that ZapMap are also putting out surveys, are they in discussion with EVA England? Yeah, I mean, we, I, mean, we, I, I know Jill well and we, we've had conversations with the EVA and, you know, yes, I think it could be good to combine forces on, on, on surveys. I think, you know, I think ZapMap's focus is, is, is sweet spot is all around EV charging. And in a way, there are quite a lot of organizations who think about the vehicle, whereas we're, there's not that many people who are really focused on, on charging. Um, mm -hmm. So we see that that is the fact that we are an independent voice. We, we cover the whole of the UK. We're not favoring any network. Um, and we've got a really good user base that, that 
our survey should be should be focused specifically on the charging. But of course, we ask some questions about the cars as well. And and yes, we're open to work, working with others to get to do broader broader surveys as as needed. Among some of the other things that map do, this time on the website rather than the app itself, is track the addition of new charges. They have a very comprehensive page that breaks down charges by type, CPO, location. I wonder where this information comes from. Is it is it all collated on spreadsheets somewhere? No, spreadsheets have all gone. No, that was that was back in 2012. No, no. Now we've got a, an amazing machine with. Yeah. Now I've had to fade the audio down here because what Melanie is talking about now is she's going into a lot of very very um, proprietary detail about how the. Zap Map app manages the interfaces into and out of the system. So uh, rather than going and actually remove this bit completely, I've decided I'm going to come in and just uh, sort of talk about what she's talking about rather than giving the actual underlying detail, which um, is proprietary. So um, my question was basically, is this all done by spreadsheets? And the answer is no, it's not done by spreadsheets. It's a fully automated system, which in the big scheme of things nowadays with something like uh, ZapMap, you'd expect it all to be completely automated and indeed it is. So um, all you really need to understand from what Melanie is saying is that behind the scenes, there's a great deal of processing taking place. It's all technical uh, magic. And um, at the end of the day, whilst there may be some manual processing, it's not all done on spreadsheets. Spreadsheet, And so we have to manually add it. Not ideal, but, you know, that's OK. Um, and then in other cases, we also have a way for our, for our users so when they're out and about and they see a charge point that's not on ZapMap, they can they'll add it either via the website or via the, the desktop. And that all goes into the central system. The data assistant looks at it and and works out whether we should add it or not. Often people tell us about charge points from one of our, our live data partners before it's actually been commissioned. So we have to say, oh, well, actually, you know, brilliant, well done for spotting it, but but we're not actually going to add it until they tell us about it because it's it's not ready to go yet. And that would explain why charges which are installed but not yet commissioned don't appear on the app, even if they've been there for quite a while. The BP Pulse charges at the Moto Service area in Reading, for example, have been ready to go for several months now. But I believe a DNO issue is preventing them from going live, and that's why they're not on ZapMap yet. But this linkage also has another side benefit. Users on ZapMap are able to leave comments and provide ratings about each charger. Surely this would be useful for the CPO to know. Oh, I mean, we, we as, as part of sort of the data sharing agreement, we send them back, them being the networks, back any comments, including a, a status update. So a successful charge plus the comment back to, back to the network. And then they can integrate that into their customer service system and, you know, and act on it as, as they wish. And that led me to think that ZapMap must be able to extract downtime figures for charges. Yeah, I mean, we, ha- we get um, status data on individual charge points through two, two routes. One route is via the live data update direct from the networks. And then that is augmented by the user interactions as well. So, so we have sort of t- two ways. And, and, and obviously, for the ones we don't have live status data, we're just relying on, on the users to provide um, the updates. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, that, that data that we have, is, it, it's, it's commercially sensitive. So we, you know, we wouldn't just pub- publish um, the information out in the market. That's a shame. I can't help but think that publishing availability stats for each charger or each charge point operator might be an enabler to encourage a quicker response time to some of the charges that, that have been out of order for a while. Oh, well. 
Thanks to Melanie for her time. You'll be hearing from her again in a couple of weeks' time as ZapMap announces something major that's currently embargoed. Yes, I know what it is. No, I'm not going to tell you, so don't ask. But it's worth the wait. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with your listeners. The Rugby Moto Services Station. We've often talked on this podcast about putting in new and updated chargers in volume to give people confidence in finding a working charger. GridServe have gone for this in a big way and companies such as Instavolt, BP Pulse and Osprey Charging have put together charging hubs that allow you to do that. The issue with a lot of these, but not all of them, is that they're usually a little bit off the beaten track, especially for drivers who are mainly focused on motorway charging. Especially for drivers who are mainly focused on motorway driving. This week, however, saw the opening of a new motorway service station at Warwick. It's a couple of miles up the M6 from the M1 junction, and it's fantastic. I went up there with uh, Rob Shaw, who's RS Thinks, and we shot some video for his channel, and there's a link in the description. And we spent a couple of hours up there looking at the chargers. There are 24 in total. 12 of them are operated by GridServe slash the Electric Highway as part of the recent deal they did, and 12 of them are Tesla superchargers. There's a lot to like about them, and one or two things not to like. Firstly, they're all all the electric highway ones are 350 kilowatt chargers. I plugged my Kia Soul in there, a car that's rated for 80 kilowatt maximum charging, but has never achieved anything higher than 51 kilowatts. Within 10 seconds of plugging in, at 30% state of charge, it was up to 70 kilowatt charging. It stayed up there until 83%, and when it dropped down to 45 kilowatts. Secondly, the chargers have both CHAdeMO and CCS connectors. However, only six of the 12 electric highway chargers have CHAdeMO. The remaining six are CCS only. The chargers are paired by the looks of things at the cabinets, which means that if all the chargers are being used, your charge speed might be nerfed slightly, but that's a small price to pay. Uh, on the topic of pricing, thirdly, all chargers are contactless. Literally, plug in, swipe your card and co. The price is 30 pence per kilowatt hour, which for 350 kilowatt charging is at the cheaper end of the market. I think only grid serve at 24 pence a kilowatt hour are cheaper. Fortunately, the chargers were on free vent for a couple of days as they check everything out and make sure it's all working. Fourthly, the chargers are located away from the main entrance to the building itself, so the chances of them being iced are quite minimal. There are a couple of things I didn't like. Despite the fact the services have been open for only two days, one of the CCS chargers was already offline and not working. Secondly, the chargers themselves are not covered. There's no canopy and they're actually quite open to the elements because the service station itself is set higher than the motorway and it was a little windy when we were there. Thirdly, there's no AC charging for older Zoe, the Renault Zoe cars. Uh, I can't help but feeling, I can't help but think that perhaps adding a couple of 22 kilowatt uh, AC units or posts uh, close to where the charging was would probably mean something that would have gained a lot of um, goodwill for the Zoe owners, but never mind. Fourthly, parking is free for a maximum of two hours. After that, you'll be fined £80 for overstay. If you want to pay, however, it's £15 for the day. It's a little steep, I feel, so watch the clock when you're there, especially if you're going up there to do some filming. The facilities are good with both indoor and outdoor dining, plenty of food options, plenty of seating and loads of parking. If this is a sign of things to come with EV charging in the motorways, there's going to be a lot of very happy EV drivers in the future. Well done, Electric Highway and Moto Services. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusings at gmail.com. 
or on the EV Musings Twitter account, Musings EV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link is in the show notes. If you want a quick reference ebook to read on your Kindle, I wrote a little something called So You've Gone Electric. It's available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent, and it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engines. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know he was going to try and be the first man to e-skate around the world, but he's undecided which actual record he's going to go for. Some people might want to do the fastest route. Some people might want to do the cheapest route. Thanks for listening. Bye.